Hello, and welcome to Date Night at the Movies, or How I Spent My Babysitter Money. This is Jordan, and I'm here by myself because I went on another solo date night. It happens sometimes. I wanted to see a movie. Jessica is teaching right now. So I decided to go see one that I didn't know if it would be her cup of tea or not, similar to earlier this year when I did uh, John Wick and Child's Play. Uh, today, I went and saw Uncut Gems, starring Adam Sandler, directed by Benny and Josh Safdie. Um, I was already interested in this movie because I've mentioned it on the show a couple times before is that I really like the Safdie brothers, uh, previous movie, Good Time, starring Robert Pattinson. Uh, so I heard they were doing this. It was interesting that they had Adam Sandler. Whenever he's not making what you would consider an Adam Sandler movie, it tends to be pretty interesting. Uh, on top of that, uh, I really like the composer that they used on Good Time and they brought him back for this movie, Daniel LaPatton, also known as One Tricks Point Never. He's a very interesting and eclectic electronic musician. Uh, so I just decided to go see it. And I guess I'm going to rate this in, uh, Opal's given the nature of the movie. I'm going to give it three and a quarter. This is a movie that I liked, and I really wish I liked it more. Um, yeah, it. I suppose the, my biggest problem with it, and again, spoilers, I'm not really going to do uh, a spoiler section, non-spoiler section. I'm just going to be talking, because I'm talking by myself, and i got to find a way to make this interesting. Uh, so the less that I have to think about it, the more that you don't hear me go um and oh and I think it's the better for everybody. So my biggest problem with this movie is the fact that it ended and it didn't really mean anything. Um, I think it's a, it's a very interesting companion piece to Joker. I did like this movie way more than I liked Joker. I actually enjoyed this movie, uh, which I didn't really enjoy Joker. But at the same time, it just didn't really add up to anything, which was very disappointing because Good Time really hits home at its ending, I think. Uh, I know some people have criticized Good Time for having like thin characters and cliches, and, uh, and to a degree it's true, uh, especially uh, Robert Pattinson's brother, who's played by one of the co-directors, I think it's uh, Benny. He's developmentally challenged, and that's not the strongest acting performance in the movie. But where the movie ends, and I'm not going to spoil this for you, because I really think that, you know, if you're into, like, grimy crime movies, the way that I kind of am, that Good Time is definitely one that you should go see. But it actually ended in a very interesting way. You didn't expect it to end the way that it did, and it really added up to something. So I was kind of hoping that they would do something similar in Uncut Gems. And they just didn't. It ended up being, what I mean by it's an interesting companion piece to Joker is that uh, it's really more of a character study movie than a plot movie. Um, there's definitely a plot that happens, but it's not the most important part of what's going on in this movie. I suppose, before I continue on, um, I should do some housekeeping. I have no dog at the podcast. Uh, there hasn't been a drink of the podcast in a while. And that's just the way it is. I'm just sitting down here in my studio by myself, just trying to see how long can I keep this going? Uh, it's like, it's an endurance match. It's like, how long can you last in soccer? I can't because I'm not a very athletic person. Uh, or for those of you who are also video gamers, it's like the zombie levels in the Call of Duty games. You just keep going and going and going until you're done. So that's what I'm doing here. How can I keep this from going off the rails and still keep it interesting? Um, I really don't know yet, so we're just going to keep seeing where I go.
but yeah, this is really more of a character study movie, similar to the way Joker is. Um, this is definitely has a much different pace than Joker. Joker seemed to me to love to revel in the fact that it's really dark. Um, you know, and some of that is also because it was just, again, it was just aping two of Martin Scorsese's best movies. This one, there is definitely a lot that happens, and people keep saying that it's such a frantic movie, and it really, really is. Um, this is a movie that just kind of stressed me out, uh, and they do it in a way that I think is actually pretty artistic. Um, it's a loud movie, and I'm not even talking about the music, we're gonna get there soon, but this is a movie that has to deal with, uh, uh, Adam Sandler's character, Howard, is a jeweler in the Diamond District in New York, and he's really charismatic, and just constantly in trouble, and trying to talk himself in and out of trouble all the time, uh, and the way that he does that is just by getting louder and talking more and louder and talking more. And then everybody else around him kind of does the same thing. And it gets to the point where there's just scenes. It's like like a Robert Altman scene where everybody's just kind of talking over each other, but you can't really pinpoint out who's saying what and why they're saying what they're saying. Uh, So it feels very realistic that way. And honestly, it's very strongly directed because you still figure out what's going on. It just doesn't spell it out for you. For example, uh, it has one of my favorite stalwarts that we've talked about in uh, in the show, uh, Lakeith Stanfield, who's also from uh, Atlanta. He's uh, he was in Knives Out. He was in Get Out. Uh, You've seen him all over the place. Um, He plays kind of a kind of like an entry man for Howard. Uh, He's the one who actually goes to find people who want to go buy jewelry. And Howard's known as being like a guy who, who was like very famous for very audacious jewelry. Uh, I think that's the word. We're going to go with it anyway. Uh, So, you know, he was very popular with the hip hop guys, uh, with athletes, you know, a big part of this movie is that Kevin Garnett, who used to play with the Boston Celtics, uh, he essentially plays himself in this movie. And he went there looking for a specific thing. And then uh, he ended up getting entranced by this other piece that Howard didn't want to sell. Uh, and then that just ended up bringing a whole bunch of other issues. Uh, Kevin Garnett was actually pretty good in this movie, by the way. Uh, normally, if you have if you have athletes who try and get into acting, you immediately think Shaquille O'Neal in Kazam. Uh, but Kevin Garnett actually did a really good job. Uh, it felt like he was in the movie as opposed to a token cameo. And he wasn't. He was like a major supporting character in this movie. Anyway, back to Lakeith Stanfield. Uh, the movie doesn't tell you, oh, this is what he does. This is how long they've been working together. You kind of figure it out as you go along, and it always makes sense as you figure it out, which it does a really good job at that. But there's a moment where they have a falling out, and it's just this really chaotic scene with a, you know... Adam Sandler's doctor on speakerphone, uh, his jeweler in there using power tools, him and Lakeith Stanfield just yelling at each other, uh, something bad happens to the fish, unfortunately, which is actually very visually stimulating. Um, it's not graphic or anything, it's just got interesting colors. And it's just chaotic. What's cool about that, though, is that it does have moments where it's just silent, And it feels like a breath of fresh air whenever that happens. You feel super relieved. So the movie did a great job of building tension and and relieving it as well. So great job to the Safdies for that. 
Uh, while we're talking about the uh, cast of this movie, so I've already mentioned there's Adam Sandler, there's Lakeith Stanfield, there's Kevin Garnett. Um, Judd Hirsch shows up here, which is pretty cool. Um, Indina Menzel, or Nadel Nazim, however you want to say her name, is in it, playing Howard's wife. Uh, and she does a great job of just kind of being like the spoiled Long Island woman. But really, one of the standout performances in this movie is actually a relative newcomer, uh, Julia Fox, who plays Julia, Howard's mistress. Um, She starts off the movie being pretty one-dimensional, and it's similar to Adam Sandler's performance, which I'm going to get into in a little bit here. it never, it's not, doesn't necessarily add dimension by being like, oh, look at that, this amazing thing that's happening here. But it's just as the movie goes on, she progressively becomes somebody who you want to root for. And you do by the end of the movie. Um, I found out today, just kind of doing my reading on it, is that eventually she wasn't as big of a part of the climax as she is in the movie. But uh, A24, the studio who did this, which you all know my feelings on A24, they did The Witch, they did Hereditary, uh, they did... Uh, it Comes at Night, and a few other movies that Jess and I both really liked. Um, they actually said, well, we'd kind of like to see more of her. And so she ended up kind of being the linchpin of the climax of the movie, which I really liked. Uh, she was great to watch. She was uh, she was a really solid performer in this movie. Um, I'm not, And when I say great to watch, I'm not even talking about, you know, the fact that she's just beautiful, which she is, but she's got a charisma to it. I think that's the thing about the casting of this movie. Everybody who's in it has a has a really interesting charisma to it. It's not charisma like you would normally think, like if you're thinking like John Hamm and Mad Men. Uh, it's just these are people who you're watching and you just kind of want to see what happens next to them. Uh, getting into Adam Sandler, I know going into this, a lot of people were like, oh, this is an Oscar-worthy performance. And he's good. I don't really see it, though. Adam Sandler tends to have two modes, which is like, Billy Madison, and I always think of it like him in Spanglish, which he was really good in Spanglish. Uh, That was back in 2004, James L. Brooks movie. If you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth watching. Um, This one still felt like an Adam Sandler character, just put into a different movie. And I don't necessarily mean that as a bad thing, but... I didn't see him do anything that I haven't seen him do before. I think it's just the matter of the movie that he was in. Uh, Howard is definitely still very much a big character. Uh, And it's not so much like a Billy Madison thing where he's like, you know, oh, I'm going to play this big character for 90 minutes of the movie. You know, there is actual some some actual depth to him. And uh, Howard definitely does go on a crazy, crazy journey throughout this movie. Um, I think I just expected something different, maybe, whenever people kept talking about how wonderful Adam Sandler was in this movie. I was expecting, like, a Spanglish-type thing. Uh, so I'm going to be interested to see what kind of awards love he ends up getting. I didn't. I don't remember if he was nominated at the Golden Globes for this or not. But uh, I know that he won. he's won some like Critics' Choice Awards, which is awesome. And he's definitely good in this. I think I was just expecting something different. And then whenever the movie wasn't that, through no fault of its own, I think I was just taken aback by it. So I think that really says more about me than it does the movie. Uh, but I did like watching him. And there were certain moments uh, where I was like, oh, that was really good. Like, there's a moment near the beginning of the movie. He... Essentially, the piece that he loans out to Kevin Garnett, 
he does it because he thinks that there that it's going to make him play better. So he starts making these super specific bets on the Celtics that night. And he goes to his bookie and the book the bookie's like, This is a stupid bet. What do you know that I don't know? He's just like, uh, nothing. I just know. And the way that he says it as he's walking out and he turns back and says that is actually a really good moment. I think they play it in the trailers. So you you know, if you've seen the trailers, you probably know what I'm talking about. Um uh, Let's get into the score. I really like the score. Again, this was done by uh, Daniel LaPatton, who also did Good Time. And a lot of, again, a lot of people know him as an electronic musician called One A Tricks Point Never. Uh, I, I always liked him just because he does really interesting synth tones. Uh, he has great rhythm. You know, he builds things in a very interesting way. Uh, some of it sounds similar to the way that I like to build things, but, you know, I'm definitely not saying, oh, I'm just as good as that. You know, he's definitely his own thing, and I really like what he does. This was not the score I was expecting for this movie, though. You know, again, going into this, and again, it might just say more about me than anything else. I was expecting this to be a lot closer to Good Time. And Good Time, it's a very tense movie. It didn't stress me out the way that this one did, but it's still a very tense movie. Uh, But it's more of a... It's more of a straight-ahead crime thriller than this one is. This one, like, you call it a crime thriller because that's just what you end up calling it, but it didn't feel as much like that to me. Anyway, back to the music. So the soundtrack for Good Time uh, is definitely a lot more propulsive and... By that I mean, you know, it's a lot more like John Carpenter rhythmy. You know, it just kind of keeps things pulsing and beating, and this is how the story keeps going. You know, it definitely rolls you along like that, and it's a great soundtrack. This one, though, the loudness and the tension comes from the performances themselves and not necessarily the music. The music seemed like it almost lived on a different plane than the movie in a lot of places, and I know I think I've said that in the past where I meant it as a criticism, but that's not what I mean here. I mean that this music was a lot more melodic than I expected it to be. A lot of it reminded me way more of like Vangelis than, uh, than John Carpenter. Uh, especially there were a couple album Vangelis albums that sounded very similar to it, or it immediately made me think of, which is Spiral and Mask. Like almost the Spiral is definitely more of like a 70s electronic prog rock thing, but Mask is a straight-up orchestral piece just played on synthesizers. And there's a lot of that in this movie. And it comments on the film in a very interesting way. Like, my first... If I were given a movie like this, my first instinct would have been to, okay, let's keep some low bass notes, let's keep it pulsing, let's, you know, put in a lot of rhythm, let's start to create, like, a cacophony of sound whenever we need to raise it up. But in this, there was just a lot of beauty that was happening. The first and last shots of the movie straight up sound like the soundtrack to Cosmos from the 80s. Or, uh, you know, there's a lot of Blade Runner in this movie. Uh, Even some Chariots of Fire it it reminded me of. Or uh, uh, Maurice Jarre from uh, his soundtracks to Witness and Dead Poet Society. That's a very similar type of feel to it. And I thought it really worked. So I just really like the score. I can't wait to go back and listen to it again, and it really makes me want to start playing with my synthesizers again. Uh, I mentioned the first and last shots of the movie. It's very interesting because essentially they go through the opal, the 
the piece in the movie that kind of sets everything off. It's a it's a colored opal from Ethiopia. And uh, it's very pretty. And it's the thing that mesmerizes Kevin Garnett and makes him play better. Uh, so the camera zooms into the opal and then it ends up going through. It almost looks like you're flying through a cave. Uh, and it's like macro photography, that type of thing. Now, <laughs> fair warning, in the first shot of the movie or not the first shot, but the first time they do this in the movie, you go through there, then all of a sudden it starts looking like a human body. I'm like, oh, I think it's going to be an ear or something like that. No, it's Adam Sandler getting a colonoscopy. So within the first 10 minutes of this movie, you see Adam Sandler get a colonoscopy, and the camera stays really close onto the video monitor in the hospital. So fair warning on that, because I was very much not prepared for that. But yeah, overall, I really liked this movie. Maybe not really liked. I liked this movie. Like I said earlier, I think I wish I liked it more. Um, I can see myself wanting to rewatch it. My three and a quarter, I can see probably skewing a little higher on down the road. Maybe it's just something that I wasn't really prepared for because, again, I was expecting it to feel a lot more like Good Time, which honestly, tonight, once I'm finished working down here, I'm probably just going to go rewatch Good Time because it really got me in the mood for that. Um, It is definitely a very stressful movie, and it's a movie about a guy who's downfall is all coming from him by it by himself he is making his own problems and he is making them all worse and if that's going to frustrate you that may not be something that you might be interested to see like this one I genuinely don't know what Jessica would have thought of this movie uh because it is propulsive it doesn't just like it doesn't just revel in being dark and grimy and things like that the way that Joker did uh it definitely is an easier movie to watch, stress aside. However, um, it is a super stressful movie, and the whole time you're just like, no, don't do this. Make the right decision here. It's similar to what we talked about in Cats. You see two decisions, a right one and a wrong one, and Adam Sandler chooses the wrong one every time. Uh, there's even a moment where they're, where the thugs are about to throw him out of a window, and then he says, yes, I'll do what you want, I'll do what you want, and they pull him out, and he sits down, and then he just says, no, I'm not going to do it. And if that's the type of thing that really gets you in a movie, then this movie is full of that. I might not recommend it there, but I definitely would recommend seeing it. Um, maybe there was just something I'm missing that it requires a second watch on, but uh, it's a very well-directed movie and a very well-performed movie. And again, I love the score. I definitely recommend even just listening to the score. Uh, but I don't think I liked it as much as I wanted to, as I thought I would, but maybe I just need to see it again. So we're going to leave it there because I don't have Jessica to feed off of and one person spiraling is a lot less entertaining than two people spiraling. So with that, I'm going to leave you with it. Uh, I'm Jordan. Thanks for listening to Date Night at the Movies and we will see you next time.